The Stuff of Nightmares podcast presents The Sideshow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of The Sideshow. So on the sideshow, I'm going to have guests come in. I'm going to tell them a story, whether it's out of a history book, whether it's out of a newspaper or an older TV show or something. And I just want to get their opinion on what we're talking about, because chances are it's something they may have never heard of. And also, I'm going to try to gear towards people that don't necessarily follow or enjoy paranormal stories or true crime. And I just want to get their insight and see what their opinion is on the stories that we tell about. This week I have Bailey. How you doing, Bailey? Good. How you doing, Rick? Good. So we're going to talk about uh, a few things that I came across while I was messing around on the internet looking for stories. First one, I had a really hard time finding all the information I was looking for. I did find one article on UPI.com. It's an archived article. Didn't really go into much information. I did come across another newspaper actual clipping. The problem is I don't know where the newspaper clipping is from. Basically, the the first time I heard this, it was actually on a Snickers wrapper. Okay. So Snickers was putting out on the back of the wrappers some kind of little stories. I'm not even sure when it was. I just remember seeing it. it was posted on a Facebook page and I saw it. I started reading it. I'm like, what? So they put it on the back of the Snickers wrapper. Yes, they put it on the back of the Snickers wrapper. <laughs> That's interesting. So the headline reads Rugby players booted human heads, not skulls. Appetizing. This comes out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, rugby players booted human heads stolen from a University of Pittsburgh anatomy lab, not skulls, as previously reported, onto a playing field before a match this spring, a newspaper said Friday. Photographs obtained by the Pittsburgh Press showed two of the heads with discernible features such as flesh, teeth, and hair, according to the newspaper. The press did not publish the photos. They are definitely human heads, not skulls, said a press editor who saw the photographs. Now, what kind of person, number one, do you have to be to kick human skulls or throw human skulls? Not just what kind of person, you're also you know, a late teenager, early young adult. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy behavior. I mean, you know, the, the idea that you, they probably broke in somewhere to get these heads, you know, if they were at some medical area on the campus, you know, and then you get them and then you take them onto a field the next day in the middle of a bunch of people. Workout routine, that's pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah. The heads were kicked around the Huntington County field by members of the Oakland Rugby Club before a game against the Juniata College team. It had been reported that the independent Oakland club, composed mostly of Pitt students, kicked around human skulls before the March 20th contest. My understanding is that they were skulls. I don't know, said Connie Kimbo, Pitt Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs. He declined to view press pictures. The university... Their spokeswoman, Daryl Clemens, officially labeled the objects anatomical materials. She said the university prefers to use medical terminology. (laughs) Two Pitt students who were accused of kicking the heads onto the field withdrew from the university following an inquiry into allegations that the heads were stolen. The incident is closed, Kimbo said. 
The investigation by a campus judicial board determined the materials came from one of the medical schools serviced by a central anatomy lab that provides the School of Medicine, Dental Medicine, and Public Health with human parts and cadavers, Ms. Clemens said. Kimbo said two students were given the option of leaving or facing theft charges. Our responsibility only comes in with the theft of the material, said Ms. Clemens. What individual students do away from our campus on their individual time is not our responsibility. <laughs> I think if it occurs on your campus, that's your responsibility. Well, I mean, that's kind of crazy because they want to talk about stuff like that. You know, our kids, it, you know, if they're not on, on our campus, there's nothing we can do. Well, if somebody gets a DUI off campus and they're underage... Right. You know, there are still repercussions that have to deal with the school. Right. Yeah, especially if they live on campus. You know, the alcohol's there or whatever. The press said it interviewed three Juniata rugby players who said the Oakland players carried five to seven heads in bags to Lions Field near Huntington. I thought it was more like two. Five to seven. Five to seven. Wow. So it kind of reminds you of that Joe Pesci movie. What was it? Heads in a duffel bag or something. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I know what you're talking about. I think it was seven heads in a duffel bag. I'm not sure. Ew, if they were trying to make some, like, weird reference to the movie. Well, this this happened before then. So oh, this, yeah, this it's was 82, right? Yeah, this was 1982. Gotcha. Maybe they ripped the movie out of that, out of that story there. Well, you <laughs> never know. I thought it was pretty sick, said Carl Dubois, a Juniata junior. The only thing he could do is treat the heads as if they were not real, said Junie at a team captain, Mark Murdoch. I didn't get within 15 feet of them. Murdoch said he told the Oakland club the contest would not start until the heads were removed, but the heads were then adorned with paper crowns and placed on the end line of the playing field, the newspaper reported. A cup of beer was placed alongside each head. They wanted to prop Grandpa up so he could watch the game, stuff like that, said Du Bois. But we continued our protest until they put them back in the bags. At a post-game party on campus, some Pittsburgh players drank beer through a skull, the newspaper reported. What? I thought these guys had problems, Du Bois said. It wasn't the whole team, just a few guys. At most, five were really doing it. Wow. That's disgusting. Yeah, so that's the end of that article. The only other article I could find was from June 11, 1982. It's a UPI.com archived article. And it, it, it goes in much vaguer detail on what had happened there. Right. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I don't, uh, I don't understand that. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't get charged, you know? So they just leave college and they don't get charged for it? Apparently. Wow. You got a different time. Yeah, right, yeah. Way different Way time. different, yeah. Well, since we're talking about human heads, uh, I'll read another one that I came across as I was looking for the University of Pittsburgh one. This comes from Breitbart. Okay. It is July 1st, 2021. The headline is illegal alien out of jail on bail accused of beheading man playing soccer with his head. An illegal alien out of jail on bail. Wow. You want to talk about tongue twister in New Mexico <laughs> is now accused of beheading a man and then kicking the man's head around like a soccer ball. Breitbart news has learned. Joel Arseniega Sienz, a 25-year-old illegal alien, was indicted by a grand jury this week after being arrested for allegedly murdering 51-year-old James Garcia in Donna Anna County, New Mexico, the day after Father's Day. According to court records obtained by KTSM News, 
Arseniega Sienz is accused of decapitating Garcia before mutilating the rest of his body and kicking his head around like a soccer ball. At the time of the murder, Arseniega Sienz was out on bail, according to Las Cruces Sun News. When arrested after Garcia's mutilated body was found 10 yards from his head, Arseniega Sienz allegedly confessed to the murder, telling investigators that he was seeking revenge because he believed Garcia had raped his wife four years prior. Oh, wow. So I'm not really sure how that's revenge. Some people, man, they handle... They handle stuff like that differently, and that's <laughs> obviously not a healthy way to handle it. No. No. At the park where Garcia's body was found, Arseniega Sienz allegedly confessed to confronting the man before stabbing him with a switchblade, decapitating him, and wow. then playing soccer with his head, according to an affidavit. Now, I'm assuming he used the switchblade. Right. Do you realize... How difficult that is? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's insane. That's like... I don't know, that's like one of those stories that you read about that's like, oh, this this person stabbed the other person like 80 times. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do you stab somebody 80 times? There's a lot of rage. Yeah, though that's what I'm saying. It's like your body just takes over and it's just like your mind is completely out of it. It's almost like you black out. It's crazy. Arseniego Sienz allegedly told investigators he kicked Garcia's decapitated head at about 14 nearby vehicles. CBS 4 News reported that Arseniega Sienz had an extensive criminal record. In 2017, he was accused of first-degree murder, but a year later, the charges were dropped. Wow. In May, Arseniega Sienz was arrested when he was caught throwing rocks at businesses. That, that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. First-degree murder to, hey, I'm going to throw rocks at a business. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a big change. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, seemingly confirmed to Breitbart News that Arseniega Sienz is an illegal alien in the U.S. with an ICE detainer on him, requesting that local authorities do not release him from jail until they can assume custody. Under federal law, ICE has the authority to lodge immigration detainers with law enforcement partners who have custody of individuals arrested on criminal charges and who ICE has probable cause to believe are removable non-citizens, an ICE official told Breitbart News. The detainer form asks the other law enforcement agency to notify ICE in advance of release and to maintain custody of the non-citizen for a brief period of time so that ICE can take custody of that person in a safe and secure setting upon release from that agency's custody, the official said. Okay. Arseniega Sienz is being held at the Donna Anna County Detention Center without bail. So if he was already, like, charged... Well, well, not charged, but he was arrested for first-degree murder. Wouldn't they be able to know then if he was illegally in the country? And if he was, why, why didn't they do anything about it? Well, one thing you got to understand is this did start this year. And right now, if you're illegal, they're just letting you in. Uh, just because of COVID or just like a different uh, or something? I, I can't say for sure. That's the cover of what they're saying. Right. They're, they're releasing them, but... I mean, right now our borders are open. It's ridiculous. Right. It doesn't matter where you're from. As long as you make it to our border, you have free pass. Right. They're handing basically envelopes with money, tickets, airline tickets and stuff and saying, go wherever you want. Really? That's true. Just check in. Yeah. Wow. Yep. A lot of them aren't even being vetted. I was going to ask if they were or not. <sighs> like, so yeah, right now the state of the U.S. with illegals is ridiculous. Wow. It's pretty sad. A lot of stuff changing for the worse because of COVID, you know. It's not like people entering the country is bad or anything. It's just that 
Something safely. Uh, it's not just COVID. It's also the administration it's in right now. There's an agenda that they're doing that anybody that looks at what's going on right now sees that America is definitely last. We are looking to help every other country except for Americans. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but you take care of America first. Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like that's been like a gradual increase in that since I've been born. I mean, you know, it's just nuts. The problem is the U.S. sticks her nose into way too much stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the sad part. All right. Well, let's move on to our next story. So a few years back, my daughter played club volleyball. We had a tournament down in, in Philadelphia. Okay. So a couple of us went and did a tour of Eastern State Penitentiary. Cool. Um, it's this huge gothic. It almost looks like a castle, but it's okay. a penitentiary. Back when it was built, uh, it was the largest and most expensive public structure ever erected in the United States. When was it built? So it was built in 1829. It actually opened on October 25th, 1829. Okay. And it was basically considered the world's first true penitentiary. Like actual single cells and stuff instead of like community rooms? Yes. Okay. Um, so basically... It was one of the first prisons that emphasized reform rather than punishment. Okay. Um, there's a bunch of notable criminals. Al Capone. There's there's a cell of Al Capone there. What's really neat is they have a plexiglass off that you can actually see in. Okay. But he had so much stuff that he brought from like his personal collection, artwork, a desk, you know, this posh chair. I know the picture you're talking about. Yeah. All kinds of crazy stuff. It looks like like a, somebody's office or something. Right. Like some New York State building. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. The uh, the prison was designed like a wagon wheel. Basically, in the center where was a huge tower. Okay. And then it separated out and oh, okay. different sections. One section was uh, solitary confinement. Okay. You know, stuff like that. Did they uh, separate them by, like, um, like charges and stuff? Did they have, like, murderers all together and stuff like that? So I would assume they housed pretty much anybody. Back then, I don't know that they actually had different segregated areas. I'm not right. sure. Uh, but basically, the original design of the building was for seven one-story cell blocks. So if they only had seven one-story cell blocks, I would assume they would kind of throw everybody in there. Right. But by the time that the cell block three was completed, the prison was already over capacity. Wow. So after that, all the cell blocks had two floors. Cell blocks 14 and 15 were hastily built due to overcrowding. Right. They were basically built and designed by prisoners. What? So cell block 15 was for the worst behaved prisoners and the guards, the guards were gated off from them entirely. Okay. Wow. So, one of the more famous inmates there was actually a dog. Okay. So, in 1924, Pennsylvania Governor Gifford Pinchot allegedly sentenced Pep, the cat-murdering dog, to a life sentence at Eastern State. And that's what we're actually going to talk about right now, which is Pep the dog. Okay. So, what I'm going to read here is from the Daily Mail. It's a newspaper article from... May of 2013. Okay. Starts out, One mean mutt, Pep the dog, who was sentenced to life in prison in 1924 for killing Pennsylvania governor's cat. <laughs> so he was known as the Pennsylvania cat murderer. 
a vicious hound sentenced to life imprisoned at Eastern State Penitentiary for the grisly killing of the governor's Moggy. In his prison mugshot from 1924, he is seen with ears drooping backwards, an identification number hanging from around his neck looking decisively guilty. According to newspaper stories at the time, Pep, the Black Labrador, attacked and killed a cat belonging to the wife of Pennsylvania's then-governor, Gifford Pinchell. Showing absolutely no remorse for his despicable crimes, Pep was sent down for life with no chance of parole. But he was framed. Pep was actually entirely innocent, and his actual offense was nothing more serious than chewing the cushions of the sofa on the governor's front porch. The account of him killing a cat was entirely fictitious, made up by a newspaper reporter taking a touch more than his fair share of journalistic license. <laughs> the editor loved the story as it was. The editor loved the story so much he kept reprinting the mugshot picture. Governor Pinchot's son would later recall how his father was inundated with absolutely thousands of letters about Pep and his prison sentence. Of course, the real story is far less exciting. Pep was originally a gift to Pennsylvania governor from the nephew of his wife, Cornelia Bryce Pinchot. One of her relatives' relative was a breeder of Labrador Retrievers. He became a much-loved part of the household at the start of Pinchot's first term as governor, which lasted between 1923 and 1927. But in early 1924, he began to develop a bad chewing on the cushions of the front porch sofa. Pinchot decided that the unruly dog had to go, and a trip to a penitentiary in Maine had given him the perfect solution. What? <laughs> Dude, this is such a... That's so silly. That's yeah. such a huge waste of tax money, and... I mean, what the hell? I don't know. I don't know how much taxes were actually collected back in, you know, 1924. I think it was. Uh, I think it was higher than because uh, there's like the, during the economic boom. I mean, I may be wrong, but I think it was higher. That's yeah. just so weird. So Pep was sent to Eastern State Penitentiary, but not as a prisoner. On his visit to Maine, Governor Pinchot had seen dogs being used as therapy to help inmates rehabilitate, and thought Pep could be the perfect candidate. So the naughty dog was packed off to prison as a pet where he became a favorite among the inmates. Wow. In 1929, when the new Greatford prison was constructed about 50 miles away, Pep would travel back and forth with the prison work crew. He eventually died of natural causes and is buried on the prison grounds. <laughs> the account of how Pep was framed is found in newspapers of the Governor Pinchot's son at the family home in Milford, Pennsylvania, about 130 miles northeast of Philadelphia. Wow. That is an interesting story. So it's kind of crazy how, you know, basically that's how legends are. There's a little bit of truth and a lot of unknown. Right. If it's really true or not. Yeah. Or just complete BS. You know? Yep. It's just, it's like if you want to just give the dog to the prison, just do that. We're going to make all this I mean, I, about it. You it, know what I mean? It's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting to see a picture of a dog. <laughs> yeah, with a uh, with prison with a prison number <laughs> the only thing that would be better is if it had a prison tat oh my gosh you know if there was like part of his face was shaved and there was a like a blue teardrop coming from his eye or something like a cartoon now that would be wrong because uh, animal abuse was gonna exactly <laughs> yes exactly you can't uh, you can't make PETA mad this is for sure <laughs> keep them off your back man so I wonder if if that, that had me looking to see if 
if something like that had ever happened where a pet was basically convicted of murdering right. somebody or I mean the only thing I could ever find was you know people have exotic pets I was gonna say like bears and tigers and stuff like that I would imagine you know snakes right they sleep with them and stuff like that <sighs> yeah I mean you think you know I don't know if they ever like go through a conviction process but I mean you know you look at all the the dogs and stuff that have hurt kids and you know families and stuff like that and then, oh it was a great dog we've had him for eight years and suddenly it just went after the kid you know what I mean right I don't know if they ever go through like a conviction process but they probably put it down yeah well I mean there there is no judge jury there's just an executioner when something like that happens and right it is sad yeah it's it's sad but it's like you know what are you gonna do something attacks your kid right it's a completely different viewpoint so now our final thing that we're going to discuss tonight actually is a People Magazine or a People.com article, and that was written July 20th, 2017. The title is, Michigan Woman Convicted of Murder After Pet Parrot Repeats Don't Fucking Shoot in Victim's Voice. <laughs> so Michigan Woman was convicted on Wednesday of murdering her husband in a case that became famous because the husband's pet parrot repeated his pleas for mercy. Glenna Durham, 49, was found guilty of murdering her husband, Martin Durham, 46, the Associated Press reports. He was shot five times in May of 2015. Glenna was found in her home with a head wound in what prosecutors said was a suicide attempt, according to the AP. Okay. I was kind of confused there, the way it was written. Yeah. Martin's ex-wife, Christina Keller, told the AP that after Martin's murder, the pet parrot Bud repeated dope fucking shoot in his voice. Keller took ownership of Bud after Martin's death. Keller told Wood TV in 2016 that the African gray parrot often repeated the phrase in Martin's voice and mimicked an argument be between two people who sounded like Martin and Glenna Durham. Wow. Police originally believed Glenna was a victim in the incident but became a suspect party on testimony from the parrot. Keller and Martin's relatives told the outlet they believed the bird witnessed the shooting. I'm hearing two people in an intense argument, Keller said. Two people that I know, voices that I recognize. Glenna will be sentenced August 28th for the murder and a felony firearm charge. Fox 17 reports she faces life, life in prison. Wow. That's got to be eerie for the person who ever took over the ownership of the bird. You know? So you said about the new owner I actually have a clip here um, there was a newspaper or I, I'm sorry there was a television reporter that did an interview with the new owner okay and you'll actually hear what the parrot says but okay. I'll, I'll just play a little snippet of this is it at all possible that he could have heard it on television well maybe but he's using Marty's voice <laughs> Wow. That's creepy. Yeah, that's eerie. That's eerie to hear that in the middle of the daytime. It looks like she lives alone, too, so that, that's really eerie to hear. So how do you feel about someone being convicted of a murder based upon a parrot saying don't shoot? I don't know if that's hard to prove. I don't know. I mean, because... I mean, I would imagine the defense could just say, well, well, he learned that from a TV show or something. You know what I mean? I get that. I mean, obviously, you know, they're going to do an investigation. They're going to end up finding evidence saying that 
it, the same gun that shot him was the one she tried to shoot herself with. Right. However, who's to say maybe he didn't grab the gun, shoot her, right. shoot at her first, and then she grabbed it, right? fired five shots into him. You know, that, that's a tough one. Yeah, I know they can look at the, um, you know, the, the, how the bullets hit and everything. They can figure out who shot first and, you know, what direction and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they did say that uh, that they don't plan on using the parrot in court. Maybe they just don't need to. They just have enough evidence where they don't want to pull something like that out of the hat, you know. All I can say is I'm glad my dogs can't talk. <laughs> 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 yeah, that is uh that's a different one. That's really weird. All right, well, that'll be it for this episode then and I want to thank you for coming over. And yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. This. And uh we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. And that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>